the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Cliff Taylor, standing in this week for Kieran Hancock. On today's show, we'll be looking at reports of an alleged data breach at independent news and media. I'll talk to economist Megan Green about the growing threat of an international trade war. And later on, Owen Burke Kennedy has the latest set of exchequer returns. But before all that, Peter Hamilton is here with his roundup of the week's business news. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Cliff. Peter, news this week that we may be seeing the acceleration of the provision of new housing stock in the country. Tell us what's happened. Absolutely. There were a few good stories or two good stories yesterday. Michael O'Flynn, his company, O'Flynn Construction, they had a particularly good news. 608 homes were approved uh, for planning permission by onboard Planola yesterday. Um, well, the letters were sent out last week. But what's interesting about this application is that generally on board Planola has 16 weeks to to look at these strategic housing applications. This was done much quicker than that. And it was the same for a company that's connected with Lone Star, the private equity firm. Uh, they got permission for houses in Port Marnock, uh, a smaller number. And it follows, again, more, you know, good good news stories for the likes of Cairn and O'Mahony Developments, who a couple of weeks ago, uh, they put in applications for, for strategic housing bills. Cairn for 636 residential homes in Kildare and O'Mahony for 164 in Cork. So there are, it would appear by, by you know, this is a one metric, but things seem to be speeding up on, on the strategic planning front and it it, it follows uh, a report that, that was issued by myhome.ie mm-hmm. uh, noting that price, uh, prices nationally rose 9.5% year on year in the first quarter of 2018. Uh, that's down ever so slightly uh, on the previous quarter but again potentially good news for first time buyers. Sure, were it to keep decelerating. What advantage does the strategic designation give to these house builders? So what it means is they, they'll work with the county council uh, and come up with some sort of plan there. But there's no time frame and there's no specific formal processes there. And then they bring it to onboard Planola. And once it's brought to onboard Planola, they have 16 weeks to look at it and they can either uh, make amendments, uh, approve it or, or, or not approve it. Uh, if they don't, you go back to the start of the process and you go for another 16 weeks. But it's much, much quicker than, than previous processes. Okay, so the point is the houses get planned uh, the site gets developed and the houses come on stream much more quickly exactly. than would have been the case under the traditional planning process. And in this case, Michael O'Flynn is planning to have houses uh, up for sale by, uh, I think it's February 2019. So, okay, so that quick turnaround. Yeah, very quick uh, turnaround. By historical standards. Now, internationally this week, uh, the markets have been pretty volatile, but it seems that Spotify may have picked a good day for its uh, for its float on the market picking a day when tech stocks and the market in general were bouncing back up, back upwards. There were a few unusual things about the Spotify float. So tell us um, tell us what happened. Spotify, so, of course, is streaming, the music streaming service. Yeah, so t- today is their first kind of normal day, I guess, of trading, ha- having launched a direct listing yesterday. What that method does is it allows them to save somewhere in the region of 60 million, some estimates of, of a tiny bit more, um, on fees to investment banks. Okay. But, uh, they, but they don't raise any fresh cash in the... In the uh, in, in the flotation, absolutely trade off, so to speak. Yeah, um, but so 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 the way it worked for for Spotify yesterday that were so so when you don't pay those uh, investment banks, um, 
they don't act as a stabilising agent as they usually would uh, and there was concern as a result of the week that's in it and the month that's in it uh, that 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 would increase the volatility of the stock. That didn't really come to pass and the shares were down ever so slightly on the first day. And as I uh, as, as we both mentioned at this point, it, it has been a difficult week uh, in, in that Amazon was under a bit of fire from President Trump and that caused a dent in its stock price. And then if we look a bit further back, Facebook and its Cambridge Analytica troubles. Yeah. So difficult time for tech companies and for Spotify, uh, you know, trying to trying to go public or, or going public, they face increased competition from Apple Music, uh, which has now loaded its service on to their new HomePod speaker. And so there's concern about competition there. And Apple are reported to have a, a subscriber growth rate in the region of 5% monthly compared to Spotify's 2%. Sure. So so you know, so that that's a worry for Spotify. And Spotify's chief executive, Daniel Eck, was speaking to CBS New York uh, earlier yesterday morning about competition from, uh, from Apple. Well, we are about twice the size of them. So um, I think we've still got some room. And uh, I'm very happy with the growth that we're seeing uh, in our business. I can't speak for them, but I, I feel pretty comfortable. But aren't you a little concerned, though? Well, I, the, the funny thing is, like, when you have something like music that billions of people around the world uh, care about, you're never going to be alone, right? Yeah. Like, this is too big, uh, and it matters to, for too many people. So actually, what we've found is when we've got competition, it actually grows the market because more people are now talking about streaming. It's easy to forget that just three years ago, even in the U.S., streaming wasn't really a thing. It was yeah. still yeah. downloading songs. And of course, one of the points about Spotify, like many tech companies that float, it hasn't made a bob in, in profit yet. No, it hasn't. Uh, and look, that's the case with Netflix, and and you know, yes, so absolutely. so. So you're buying a customer <laughs> and so base, Spotify, and, and, yeah, and the right. hope that that customer yeah, base can yeah. yield profit yeah, in, uh, in years uh, to come. Yeah, exactly. And and they they can be volatile. If you look at Snapchat, for example, when uh, one of the Jenners tweeted about Snapchat, it dropped significantly because she was not using the service anymore. They're quite volatile, and and you know. On the plus side, has been part of the revival of the music sector, the whole Spotify streaming In, movement. Indeed, and artists are getting paid. What you will notice with Spotify, though, that every year as their subscribers go up, so do their costs quite exponentially, and that's something they'll need to try and keep a lid on. Sure. Now, one of the things that's been really freaking the markets this week are trade tensions between the US and China. Tell us what happened this week. So... The Trump administration revealed plans uh, for a 25% tariff on over 1,300 Chinese goods. And this is retaliation to what they call decades of state-backed intellectual property theft by Beijing. Uh, And they said it in in a lot more words than that. Uh, um, But the list from the US of these over 1,300 products, it covers somewhere in the region of $50 billion worth of imports. It's Mm -hmm. quite significant to China. China, of course, unsurprisingly, aren't taking this lying down. And today they retaliated and they said that those who attempt to make China surrender through pressure or intimidation have never succeeded before and will not succeed now. Uh, The stark warning there, um, as they also impose tariffs of 25% on a far fewer number of goods, only 106 uh, by China. But the escalation, of course, worrying the markets. But still uh, sensitive, sensitive goods, too, that the Chinese have targeted the likes of automotives, Soya beans, yeah. ones that would hit the party, the Trump heartland, and, and big areas of American business as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so, so, so it is. You know, 
Europe is lucky to have escaped this thus far, but uh, sure. this is a lose-lose situation, as China have called as, it. As China have said. But there is a period in which talking can take place. There is a couple of months, I think, before these tariffs come into place. So perhaps go for some negotiation before the button is pressed, so one, to speak. One would hope the, the Trump administration would back down. Um, or China, or both. <laughs> or, or China, but, uh, but I certainly won't be making any bets on that. Indeed. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Peter. For more on that story, I'm joined now from Boston by Megan Green, who is Chief Economist at Manu Life Asset Management. Megan, are we looking at the outbreak of a full-scale trade war between the US and China? Yeah, I think a lot depends on your definition of a trade war. Um, Insofar as it's supposed to mean an escalation of trade tensions, absolutely. I think it's going to be hard for either the U.S. or China to back down um, from recent provocations on trade. Um, I would point out, though, that um, the size of the tariffs, so $60 billion worth of tariffs that the U.S. is imposing on China and $50 billion uh, imposed in return, in the grand scheme of things, relative to the size of our trade balances or to the size of our external debt, um, aren't huge. Uh, and so we should be worried about this. It could drag on competitiveness for both countries. It, it could boost inflation a little bit. But it's not really a game changer. I think the bigger threat is that there's a further escalation. Okay. And in terms of how China um, retaliated, they did it in exactly the way the U.S. expected. So they imposed tariffs on soy, aircraft, automobiles. Um, but they've kind of thrown the, the kitchen sink at it. They've used up all the obvious retaliation, which means that if we do retaliate um, again, if the U.S. retaliates again, and China has to go ahead and impose more measures, they're likely to be non-trade related. And, and that's more worrisome, I think. So if this goes far enough, we could find ourselves in a position where the PBOC announces that they're going to rebalance their portfolio away from U.S. Treasuries. Um, okay. We could end up seeing China dump U.S. Treasuries, which would certainly affect borrowing costs for the U.S. Okay, so um, Treasuries are decide. U.S. government bonds. That, so, so, so effectively, the Chinese are lending the U.S. money to uh, to bridge their budget deficit and, and, and pulling out of that or, or reducing those holdings would make life a bit more difficult for President Trump. That's right. It would make it much harder for us to raise money to um, go ahead and, and um, fulfill all these spending promises the administration has made, and, and we'd have to pay more for it. Um, you could also see the Chinese just re, uh, devalue their currency um, so that Chinese goods are much cheaper, and that would affect world t- trade flows as well and could drag on U.S. competitiveness. So okay. I think the big worry is that is not the tariffs that we've actually had already. It's the idea that they this all might escalate and that China could end up retaliating in ways that have nothing to do with trade at all. And they have a lot of tools to do that. Okay, interesting. Why has Donald Trump uh, decided to do this now, uh, Megan? I guess for the first year of his presidency, there was a lot of talk about trade and a lot of threats, but maybe not a lot was done. Why has he decided, do you think, to, to, to move now? I think there are a couple of reasons that uh, Trump is focused on trade. One is that it's a midterm election year. Sure. Um, and so, um, first of all, it, it's a really popular political slogan to say that, first of all, it's unfair that other countries are sort of skiving on U.S. demand. So it's unfair mm. that because of trade policies, um, the U.S. is the consumer of last resort for the rest of the world. Um, that argument actually holds no water economically at all. Sure. Um, but it's a great political slogan. The other argument is that it's unfair that China's been, you know, a- appropriating IP and then selling stuff for much cheaper 
than uh, they could if they were playing by the rules. And I think a, a lot of economists have sympathy with that argument, but more importantly, voters do too. And so I think it's partly just that it's a, a popular political slogan. But on top of that, the president has incredible powers in terms of trade and, mm -hmm. and immigration. And so um, given that we're in a midterm election year, it's going to be really hard for the administration to get cross-party consensus on anything. Mm. And so now is a good time for the president to go ahead and invoke the powers he actually does have. And, and for decades, Congress has been delegating power on trade to the president. So he's just exercising that now sure. so that he has more wins before the midterm elections later this year. Sure. You're, you're, you're living and working there in, in, in the U.S., Megan. How is this playing so it's it's um it plays differently in different places, right? So I'm living and working in Boston, Massachusetts, where mm -hmm. lots of people have had a background in economics and think that um, all of this whining about our trade balance and is is economically illiterate. Um, but I think in in Trump's heartland and the farm belt, um, this is playing quite well. So I, I don't think it's random that a poll came out the day before Trump announced the steel and aluminum tariffs, suggesting that actually protectionist measures would do really well in large swing states like mm. Pennsylvania and Ohio. So there are obviously differences um, in different regions, but in terms of the areas that uh, the Republicans would like to hold on to in the midterm elections, uh, a lot of this plays out quite well. Sure, but perhaps no coincidence as well that the Chinese have targeted the kind of products that are made in the Trump heartland, uh, automobiles, food products, soybeans, all those kind of uh, products. Is there likely to be any kickback in, 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 because of that, do you think? Well, so I think you're absolutely right. I think that's why they have gone and targeted soy, for example. Um, and it, it's too, too difficult to say whether we'll retaliate in turn. Um, I would say that none of these measures actually kick in for two months. So mm. there will be a discussion on both sides. And so there is some opportunity to climb down from some of it. So I don't think we'll climb down on all of it. Um, it is worth looking at who's actually running trade strategy in the U.S. Um, and I think that the the guy really in charge of strategy is U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. Mm. Um, then you also have the president, obviously, who has incredible um, powers in terms of trade. And you have Peter Navarro. Um, and these guys don't agree on everything. But there is one thing that they do agree on, and that's that they, they're upset about China stealing IP. They've, you know, done this study with Section 301 um, and have decided that they're going to implement these policies. But they're aligned entirely on their opposition to China. So I think it's going to be hard to see them really climb down from where we are. So a good chance that despite the 60-day period, this will, this will go ahead, you believe? I think something will certainly go ahead. Um, we might find some compromise in some areas, but but generally, overall, I think we will see tariffs imposed. And also, it's not just tariffs. There are restrictions on investments um, in U.S. tech companies by Chinese. I think those kinds of things will go forward as well. Now, politically, of course, this may, this may play well for President Trump, but economically, the markets are looking, looking on askance. The markets have been really skittish. Um, I think that the initial reaction to um, protectionist measures with the steel and aluminum tariffs are probably overdone, to be honest. Um, as I said, the, the size of the tariffs that the U.S. and China are imposing on one another aren't really game changers in terms of the economy <clears throat> or in terms of inflation. It's the risk that they'll escalate. That's, that's the bigger problem. Um, the OECD did a study suggesting that if everybody imposed 10% tariffs on everybody else, then um, it would drag really significantly on growth and could end up pushing us into a recession. That being said, I don't expect 10% tariffs across the board um, by everyone against everyone. Um, we're looking at much more targeted tariffs. So I think that you know it could drag on growth a bit. 
um, could feed through a little bit into inflation. Um, I don't think companies will be able to pass the full cost of tariffs onto the end user to consumers just because they don't really have the pricing power right now, particularly as they're trying to compete with the likes of Amazon, who's undercutting everyone on price. And, and so, also under attack by the president. That's right. Also under attack by the president. Um, but even so, I, you know, I think that's a bit of a distraction at the moment and probably won't be sustained significantly. So I think that we'll get maybe a little bit of feed through into inflation. It'll be a drag on competitiveness, but I don't think we're going to go into recession over this. The much, the much bigger risk is kind of the the impact this has on the whole liberal order, the idea that actually when you impose tariffs or subsidies or any other kinds of rigidities into the economy, you just create these deadweight losses. It's an own goal economically. Um, and I think that's a, that's a bigger threat than the, the impact of these specific measures on our actual economy now. Yeah, for years we've had a world trading system that's got freer and freer. That That's kind of stopped over the last five or six years. And, and now the, I guess the fear is we're going into reverse. That's right. And if you look at the history of empires, actually, this is kind of what happens. So insofar as you think that the U.S. is maybe turning over in terms of its you know, dominance on the world stage and, and China might be emerging, um, what you usually get when you're in that period or that inflection point in, hi in history is a turn towards protectionism. So in some ways, this isn't totally shocking. Um, but as an economist, you can look at it and think this makes no economic sense at all. Thanks very much, Megan. OK, we'll take a short break now after which we look at that alleged data breach at independent news and media. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. The business story of the week so far has surrounded independent news and media. Reports have emerged of an affidavit filed by the head of the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement, which is seeking the appointment of a High Court Inspector to the company. Separately, the Data Protection Commissioner is investigating an alleged data breach at INM. To talk about this story, I'm joined by my colleague, Irish Times Legal Affairs Editor Colm Keane, and Dara O'Brien. CEO of data consultancy agency Castlebridge. You're both very welcome. Colm, take us through the main developments so far this week. Okay, well, in, in the last week, we've had a, a lot of news uh, emanating from a document that's been filed in the High Court. It's an, it's a, an affidavit by the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement to uh, uh, apply uh, to support an application for the appointment of High Court inspectors to independent news and media. PLC, and that case is due to be heard on April 16th. Um, the uh, Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement has been investigating a number of matters uh, in relation to the independent news media for the last number of months. And they're, they're essentially have, have to do with two issues, both of which uh, involve uh, the former chairman of independent news media, Leslie Buckley, who is a close business associate of Dennis O'Brien, who's the largest shareholder in the independent news and media. So they are um, a proposed deal that uh, was discussed within the confines of independent news and media back in early 2016 for the purchase of Dennis O'Brien's news talk. And the then chief executive, Robert Pitt, uh, was against the proposal. Mm -hmm. And they were, there was a, a chasm between the price that uh, was being suggested for the radio station of about 35 million 
and what Pitt was being advised was worth about 10 million. Um, and that led to a row within the independent news media, which which led in time to Mr. Pitt leaving. Mm-hmm. He made a protective disclosure as well to the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement. Now, there was a second issue which has arisen. The inquiries from the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement seem to have uh, uncovered a data breach, a very, very substantial data breach. Um, and Mr. Buckley told the... Uh, told the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement that the, that he accessed all this data in the independent news and media service, or got somebody to do that for him, and then gave it to a third party outside the company. And he was asked why was this done, and he told the uh, Director of Corporate Enforcement it was a cost-cutting exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so the details of how that, that, that explanation uh, makes sense or whatever, we, don't, we haven't heard yet. He was also asked how, who paid for it, and what was its, well, what business function did it have from the point of view of uh, uh, of independent news and media? We now know from leaks to the Irish Independent Group, based on the affidavit I mentioned earlier on, that according to, the, to, to, to this affidavit, the data being moved out to this third party company, that operation was paid for by an Isle of Man company that's owned by Dennis O'Brien, mm-hmm. and um, we've also learned that some of the this data was reconstructed and what's called interrogated or searches were conducted in it. Um, and a number of names have come out into the public domain. They're journalists, barristers so and so on. People that, whose name whose names were put into a search, it seems. Okay. And the data was searched. So the suggestion was that this, these names were searched through the database to see what results came up. Exactly. And they don't seem to have any particular uh, relationship with any of uh, the, the normal business of the independent news and media. Okay. But equally to make clear that the information that was that was moved out of independent news and media was a much wider yeah, batch of information. We, ha- we haven't had we haven't had the details yet, but it seems possible, mm-hmm. seems at least possible that it was the whole shooting gallery, you know. Um, so that the, the 19 names in a way are just names that were put into the search. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the data that was being searched seems to have been emails going back years. Okay. It's fair to say that the appointment of a High Court inspector or the application for the appointment of a High Court inspector is an unusual step for the ODC to take and suggest that they are viewing this whole thing quite seriously. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a very rare rare event in, in corporate Ireland. We have one for, in the Ansbacker scandal, mm-hmm. National Irish Bank, we had one um, arising out of the DCC fives uh, yeah. inside of dealing, uh, you know, further back we had ones in relation to County Clan, and um, Bula Resources. Yeah. So they're, they're, they happen every now and then, but they're usually big corporate stories. Yeah. And, and this certainly is a big corporate story. And what happens next, Colm? Well, um, I, I think this week the members of the board, the Irish Independent, will be, uh, will be uh, awaiting advice from lawyers who've been poring over uh, the uh, the affidavit that's before the court and they'll have to make a decision as to what position they'll adopt okay, so when they, they go to the high court. Oppose the appointment yeah. of the inspector yeah. or And or what not. they've said, they'll look at it to see whether there's sufficient grounds in the material contained in the affidavit to justify the application before the court. Now, it's a politically difficult question, if you want, um, as well as a legally uh, interesting question because you, 
the optics of it will be interesting are, you know, the, the duty act, obviously, on behalf of the company and so on. But it seems to be a matter that's particular, of particular interest to, to, to the largest shareholder. Okay, Dennis O'Brien. Yeah. Um, Daryl O'Brien, uh, thanks also for joining us. I suppose to pull back slightly from the direct issue of mm. INM, what are the responsibilities of a company in terms of the data it holds on, on its employees? We all have company mobile phones. We all have company yep. emails. Our employer, in, our employer's computers know a lot about us. How should that information be used okay, or not well, used? The, 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 the simple principle in this is that employers are required to comply with the Data Protection Acts, uh, which will be uh, replaced in a few short weeks with the mm. GDPR uh, coming into force. But employees are humans too. They have human rights. The right to data privacy is a human right. That right needs to be balanced against mm. the uh, interests of the organisation. Uh, there's a body of case law in the European Court of Human Rights and the European Court of Justice around the need for transparency and balance in the engaging of any monitoring in the workplace. Uh, so monitoring of emails, monitoring of calls, etc. Uh, but it's also worth remembering that if you have a company-issued mobile phone, the, the the data you put into that phone in terms of contacts, etc., is, is, is the company's data. The company has a responsibility to it. So if you lose your phone, mm. you need to let the company know you've lost your phone so it can be tracked and wiped remotely. Mm. Uh, in in terms of this, the scenario where a third party is involved in, in, in an investigation or, or looking at data in, in a company, um, companies have an obligation to ensure that they keep the data safe and secure, that they pre- protect the information from any unauthorized access mm. and any unauthorized processing. So this is a, a provision under the current Data Protection Act. It is a provision under the GDPR as well. So this is not a new principle. It's been around since 1988. Mm. Um in the context of an organization engaging in any sort of uh, troll or search of data, it's important that it's targeted and balanced. So if you've got a list of names that you're looking for, you go in to your systems and you look for those names in in, in the organization. Mm. If it's an external entity looking to get access to data, they have no right to look at that data. Mm. So they would need to go to court and get it. They would have to go through a legal process to create a, mm. a legal basis for them to access that data. And I presume any legal basis are... Any basis, even of the company looking at data, would need to be grounded on some business. It needs to be grounded. On, there, there needs so to be there needs to be a rationale. You can't just go on a fishing trip. You need to have a reason for looking into the data. Mm. You need to be doing uh, the one of the key cases in the European Court of Human Rights is the Barbalescu case in Romania, uh, where an individual was using uh, a chat group, uh, Yahoo Chat. Mm. Uh, for work purposes, but he was he was told not to use it for personal purposes. He did use it for personal purposes, and he, when he was dismissed for doing so, he, he challenged that the employer had looked over his chat history. Yeah. But he'd been told up front, don't use it for personal purposes, and he was told it will be looked at from time to time. And there was sure. a disciplinary re- issue that triggered a need to look at, at, at his uh, his use of, of company servers, services and, and systems. Mm. In the context where a member of staff decides to get a third party to just come in off the street Mm. to have a look at your data, Mm. you'd need to have a very, very good reason for doing that. And that needs to be put in the context of a proper governance structure. Mm. You can't just decide that you want to bring in a third party. Any third party looking at data or analyzing data on behalf of a company is a data processor. You need to have a contract between Mm. the organization whose data it is and that external party. And where that isn't in place, where there's any question over that, that raises significant issues around the uh, legality and the ability for the organisation or the third party or any third parties involved to, to demonstrate that they're complying with the, the letter and the spirit of current data protection law or the GDPR. And I presume in normal circumstances anyway, there would be uh, an onus 
on the company to tell employees that such a search was underway? Um, or would there? Again, this comes back to the principle of transparency and balance. Mm. If there is, a, for example, a suspicion of uh, insider trading or someone is leaking company secrets, mm-hmm. for example, sure. so, someone in this organization send, sending email, bouncing juicy stories across the river, yes. um, then you might want to do some discreet monitoring from sure. time to time. But again, it can't be an ongoing thing. It needs to be targeted. It needs to be in, in a controlled area, where in controlled context, where you're clear as to why you're doing it sure. and when it will stop. And with a clear justifiable business With a clear reason. justifiable business reason for doing it. Going on a fishing trip at random, that would raise significant questions. And again, you'd need to be able to demonstrate what is the reason for, for, for sure. that. Sure. Bearing in mind that depending on the organization, mm. an individual employee's email account or phone or, or the data that they process on a regular basis could have information about other people that would be mm. sensitive or that may impact on the fundamental rights and freedoms of those other mm. people. So um, example being... In the pharmaceutical sector, someone might be involved in overseeing drug trials. They might have information about participants in drug trials, mm. uh, the recruitment of people to take part in drug, drug trials. In a newsroom, you have sources. Again, I've, 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 had, had, I've had reason to talk to many of your journalists over the past mm. couple of years, sure. and they're all sitting in an email inbox somewhere. And sure. again, looking through that, if, if it became known that that was something that was subject to monitoring or subject to random checks... Uh, on the whim of a third party or any party in the organisation, that could have a chilling effect on people coming to you with uh, the, the news of tomorrow, let alone the news of today. Yeah, no, a very, a very significant issue for journalists. And I suppose we we need also to say that I and M, we've yet to hear their justification for for any data access. Oh, that might I agree. Have taken place. Yeah, I agree. The Data Protection Commissioner has said that she's looking into mm. what happened here. I know we don't know the details, but in a, in a general way. What is the DPC likely to be looking for? The DPC is going to be looking for the governance structures that are in place, the basis Mm -hmm. for the access to the data, the basis for the transfer of data out of one organisation into another. Um, It's worth noting that last year the Irish Times reported that the the Data Protection Commissioner had been approached by NM saying this was to notify them of data breach. They said it wasn't a breach. It's worth highlighting that the Data Protection Commissioner can reopen an investigation when new facts come to light. And new facts may may have come to light in this context. We don't want to prejudge it. But well, the DPC will be looking at what was the governance structure, what was the legal basis for the transfer of data, what was the what, what contracts are in place, uh, and was the invasion of the workplace privacy, the, the, the privacy of the individual in their working environment, was that balanced, necessary, and proportionate? And again, a troll of an entire server looking for information may not be considered balanced and proportionate. Sure. But again, that's what the data protection commissioner to decide. Okay, and and if a full investigation is launched, it, it conceivably could go on for quite some time. I presume it could go on for quite some time. It's worth pointing out that while the ODC has to apply to the High Court to get inspectors appointed with powers to mm. compel witnesses, the Data Protection Commission of the Data Protection Act has the powers to enter any facility, any building where they believe pro- data is data is being processed, mm. and ask any individual there to describe what's going on. Okay. And it's an offence not to answer the question. It's an offence to give a misleading answer to the okay. question. So serious powers. Fairly serious powers uh, and strengthened further after the 25th of May. So again, this is one of, if if anyone if, if any company has encountered themselves in this situation, I'd be, I'd be suggesting they, they get it closed off as quickly as they could because okay. after the 25th of May, the penalties are higher and the enforcement powers are a lot stronger. Okay, thanks Tara. Colm, the next date is April the 16th. Yes, the, next, the High Court. next date is April the 16th. We'll see whether, um, you know, what the attitude of the company is towards the application for the appointment of the inspectors, we'll see what the uh, the uh, opinion of the judge, the 
President of the High Court, Peter Kelly, will be. Mm. And of course, we'll see whether the affidavit is released, uh, you know, opened and released to the media generally. Okay. At the moment, the Independent's been re- reporting on it, but obviously other media organisations would have to like to have a look at it. It's about 200 pages long, I've got there, so okay. got, there's a lot of, lot of material in there. The, the, the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement, yeah. And uh, were a High Court inspector to be appointed, that is likely to be a lengthy and difficult process for the yeah, company. Yeah, it's going to be a lengthy and, and difficult and expensive process um, for the company. And I think what I'm told about the data protection issues, that there can be, you know, you can breach this, that and the other, and there's, there's little or no offence involved. But the, the, the Data Protection Commissioner can tell you to rectify these failings mm. or particular failings, and that can be very expensive. Then there's all sorts on, of on stock the exchange rules that the independent news and media are, are obliged to comply with. So that will be another issue with them okay. for them. So it's just, it's a huge distraction for, for a company that's in a sector that's already under pressure. Sure. You know, we're all under pressure and and uh, it'll probably be quite expensive. Well, under current data protection legislation, the penalties are somewhat paltry uh, but under the GDPR the penalties the, the maximum financial penalties are significantly higher and it's also worth pointing out that if there has been Ill- unauthorised and illegal access to data that may also, may also be a breach of criminal law as well okay. uh, under the uh, under the Criminal Justice Act uh, sure. Theft and Fraud Offences Act sure. uh, so there's a whole gamut of areas where the Data Protection Commissioner might look at and again um, depending on whether there is an ongoing incident or not, the, okay. the the legal framework that any prosecution might take place under could be radically different in a few weeks' time. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks to Irish Times Legal Affairs Editor Colm Keena and Daryl O'Brien, CEO of data consultancy Castlebridge. Now, hot off the presses today, the Exchequer returns the government's tax and spending figures for the first three months of the year have just been published. And here to tell us what's in them is the Irish Times' Owen Burke Kennedy. Owen, what are the highlights of the uh, of the figures published today? Yeah, so what we got today was, uh, I suppose, tax figures for the first quarter of the year. And I suppose it, it, we should say at the outset, it's pretty early to be determining any trends so far. Apart from PAYE element of income tax, much of it comes in in clumps. And so mm. it can be off target now and then be back on target in a month's time or sure. at least before budget time. Anyway, what we got today was... Um, the government revenue is, is still marginally below target. Uh, the overall figure for uh, the first three months of the year, the government collects just under $12 billion in tax, uh, $11.9 billion to be precise. This was, now I should say, 3% or $400 million up on the figure last year, but it was marginally below, about $141 million below what the department was targeting. Okay. And this shortfall, if I can call it that, uh, reflects weaker than expected income tax receipts from the self-employed, mm. the bulk of which will come later in the year. So the department was not unduly kind of worried uh, or anxious about this shortfall, and it is pretty small in the context of a $51 billion, sure. uh, tax take for the year. And we have seen this in previous years as well, where there have been this nearly every year. shortfalls yeah, in, the, in the early yeah. months of the year. Yeah. Now, income tax as a whole... Uh, um, generated about 4.6 billion, and that was up six percent year on year again. And this again reflects the growth in employment, which is the centre fugal point of the whole economy at the moment, and it's still pretty positive. Uh, the unemployment tax stream VAT, which had been behind profile for the first two months of the year, is now uh, up. Uh, that generated 4.6 billion, same as income tax, and this is now 
uh, 2.4% above profile. So we can see that VAT, which was in a negative uh, space for the first two months, is now in a positive space. Corporation tax, which a lot uh, has been in the news a lot and has generated record returns for the government in recent years, came in at 530 million, which is pretty small uh, uh, compared to the annual figure. This is again below target, but again, most of it comes later in the year. And then the other main tax head, excise duty, came in at 1.2 billion which was 44 million off target. And incidentally, the department suggested that reduced sales of motor oil during the recent bout of bad weather may be to blame. <laughs> Storm Emma hits the tax figures. Okay. Exactly. And uh, on the spending side? Yeah, on the spending side, um, it was nearly 3 billion, and uh, it was 3 billion up or 10% uh, on last year. And the department uh, blamed this on our higher EU budget contribution, which was the main factor driving that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's basically the, the figures on the expenditure side. So, all in all, uh, wasn't too many surprises uh, in the figures, and there's a sort of nothing yet to see here really feel about them. Okay, so to sum up, you might say uh, on target so far, but no, no sign of a big overshoot or, or, or a tax bonanza. No, there, there's no sign um, of any major trend developing at this mm. stage. The only thing we can say is that uh, income tax receipts are progressing pretty positively at this stage, and that reflects the underlying growth of the economy. And that's probably the key thing at this stage. That's the key thing to be looking at for at this stage. Okay. Owen Burke Kennedy, thank you for joining us. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks to all our guests, to Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on production and sound, and to all our listeners. Until next time, good luck. <laughs>